Welcome to Crack the Customer Code, where your hosts, Jeannie and Adam, unlock the secrets to keeping your customers happy and coming back for more. So, Jeannie, if you're not growing, you're what? Stagnating. Shrinking. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, you can be many things, but if you're not growing, you are absolutely on the decline on the downswing, not on the down low. That's a whole different thing. I know. I know you have trouble with the, <laughs> the hip language, like the young people like me use. But sure, sure, because down low's hip language from like you know nineteen ninety seven. But <laughs> still, so we're talking about growth today. And here's what's interesting: when you think about business growth, is there's a lot. Of, you know, I think a lot of people just usually think of it as top line sales growth, and mm-hmm. there's just a lot of different ways to grow now. I'm just talking about the very basic categories, not even the strategies, which is what our interview today is about. So for instance, you can grow top line revenue. Mm -hmm. You can not grow top line revenue, but stop your attrition or not stop your attrition, but minimize your attrition or reduce your attrition, which Mm -hmm. is another form of growth. Or you can increase share of wallet so you're not getting more customers, but you're growing revenue by increasing what each customer spends. So, and I, I set this table for a discussion of growth with Tiffany Bova because there are so many ways to look at growth and there are so many different strategies that it's uh, one of the things that was interesting in this conversation was how um, she approached it from the standpoint of context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we all agree very much that strong customer experiences, positive customer experiences are a big part of any of those ways of growth. And you know what, Adam, I'm just going to put this out to the universe. I want all three. You want all three? <laughs> I want all three at once. Is that doable? Um, <laughs> You know, if you believe you can achieve, how's that? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a, a, a I'm a bump. believer. I'll give you a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> to help you out with that. Yes. So I'm greedy. I want all three types of growth. Uh, and I think most companies do, but you do have to really look at all the different ways and all the different strategies, which are uh, the topics that we went through with Tiffany today. So maybe we should just jump on in here. What do you think? Jump on in, Jeannie. The water is warm. <laughs> well, we are so excited today because we have Tiffany Bova with us. Tiffany is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist for Salesforce and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. Previously, she was VP, Distinguished Analyst, and Research Fellow with Gartner. She was recently named to Thinker 50's Radar Class of 2019 and was Thinker of the Month in December 2018, and she's appeared on MSNBC and Yahoo Finance, among others. She has also interviewed guests ranging from Dan Pink to Ariana Huffington on her What's Next podcast. Tiffany is also a top Twitter influencer in customer experience, sales, AI, the future of work, cloud, and marketing. She studied at the Wharton School and lives near Los Angeles. Tiffany, we are so thrilled to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, there's no place I'd rather be than talking with you two today. So I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you. And I know you talk a lot about growth and your book is called Growth IQ. So let's talk, let's dig into that a little bit. 
tell us what you see as some of the levers and you know the the primary levers and growth strategies and some of the best ways that companies can drive growth. Well, you know, that tends to be the very first question I often get. And it's one <laughs> I've gotten for a long time, even sort of before the book, which was kind of the genesis of the book. But I, I like to sort of back up a second and and ask when people ask me that question, especially companies obviously and executives, is tell me about the context of your market. Like, you know, who are you? What do you stand for? Who are your customers? Um, what markets are you trying to serve? What problems are you trying to solve? How are you trying to enhance? You know, I, I ask a series of questions to sort of get them to inform me on what they're currently, how they currently view their business, their opportunities and their challenges. But, but most important, kind of who have they already been able to attract from a customer segment perspective? And then I can sort of launch into, okay, so have you tried this? What are you doing? But I always worry when, when people ask that question, I know you're doing it because of this podcast, but I mean, literally when, when I'm in a situation and they're <laughs> <Right>. looking for <laughs> that single answer, right? Because mm-hmm. I think as somebody who advises businesses uh, and has consulted for a long time, and you know, if you just jump right into an answer, it might be the wrong answer. So, you know, it, one of the very first things I say at the beginning of the book is please understand the context of your company and your market and your customers before you start determining which growth path is best for you. So, I like to say that, you know, before I say what's the best answer, because unfortunately, <laughs> no, yeah, it depends. <laughs> well, yeah, it always does. And I think that's important because, I mean, I think we sort of intuitively know that the growth strategy for the ice cream store on the corner is not the same as the growth strategy for Zappos. But when we're doing these types of things, podcasts and blog posts, it's really easy to get into the like five ways you can grow your company that's supposed to apply to everybody. So I appreciate well, what's that interesting you said though, that. The, those two you just brought up, I would say that they could be exactly the same. So while could you be. said they could be right, because if you said, you know what, let, like, because you picked Zappos, right? Zappos is highly focused on customer service and customer experience. They're all about it. That's what they're known for, right? They have the university of wow, like that, mm-hmm. that's their thing. You could argue that's a great strategy for an ice cream store. <laughs> Right, That's true. It, the experience that a customer has when they come into that store, and you could be a little more expensive, a little more out of the way, but people will make the effort to come to your ice cream store because it's such a wonderful experience. And so that's why I, I started with who is the customer and sort of what who is your market? Because if experience is one of the reasons that business consumers, customers, uh, you know, choose your brand. You could be Shake Shack, you could be Starbucks, you could be Zappos, you could be the ice cream store, right? That is your lever. And so looking out of industry, um, like you just did as just a quick example, I would say in in many ways, it could be the exact same strategy for an ice cream store in Zappos. And so that's why I like (laughs) to try to understand because don't think you can't replicate um, or try to mirror or mimic or take advantage of what others have done, like a Zappos, uh, for your particular company, because that's a great strategy. And I, I think that's really critical, what you're saying about looking beyond your industry, which is super important. But I think right now, there is a lot of kind of anxiety over growth, and people are trying to figure out, leaders are trying to figure out how, you know, how can we tap into this? But there, there are different answers, and it's getting harder to navigate. So 
what would you recommend for folks who are out there listening, thinking, you know, I do want to invest in the growth of my organization, but let's face it, it's harder than it used to be. So what are some of the ways that we can really focus on growth for our organizations? Yeah, I'd say you are 100% correct. It is getting harder. And it's only going to continue to get harder. And a lot of that has to do with the consumer has so much more power in the palm of their hand than they've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And, and they can make decisions with one thumb click. <laughs> like <laughs> it's taking too long to load. The app isn't intuitive. I'm out, right? I mean, it's yep. very quick. And so it's kind of you earn the first dollar uh, because you've done something right. You earn the second dollar or the second spend and the third spend and beyond because they've made a conscious decision to continue to do business with you from a loyalty perspective. And so it's not only about getting them in the door once, it's about how do you get them to buy more frequently, spend more money, you know, even getting to a point of becoming a raving fan and, 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 and talking about your brand or your product in some way. But to go back to your question, I'd say the answer is slightly different if you're publicly traded versus your private Because Mm -hmm. publicly traded companies, unfortunately, are on that hamster wheel of having to deliver quarterly earnings and results to the broader shareholder community. And they sometimes can make decisions based on those quarterly earnings versus what's, you know, that short sightedness versus what's good for the long term. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the very first quotes I say in the book is growth and comfort never coexist, which is a quote from Ginny Rometty, and she's the CEO and chairman of IBM. And they've been through a huge transformation. And when I wrote that book, they were at like 22 or 23 quarters of no growth. Like, wow. right? As a publicly traded company, you have to make sure as a leader that you are able to communicate why it's going to be so painful <laughs> as you make the transformations looking for new growth, right? They shed business units, they made acquisitions, they reorganized, they started focusing around different pains and opportunities from a customer perspective. That's really difficult moving a ship of 100,000 plus employees with a, you know, $100 billion business. So, you know, in a publicly traded world, that answer is very different than in a privately traded world. In a privately traded world, uh, where I get very concerned is that people get so fixated on their top line revenue number. Like we are a $5 million business, 10, 20, $30 mm-hmm. million business. And really, literally, the statistics are there a very small percentage of businesses ever make it larger than $5 million. So the decisions that they make are really impactful to the future health of the business, right? They're trying to keep the lights on and their people employed and their customers served. And so you don't have a lot of room for error when you're smaller. So when you're private, making decisions can have, you know, extremely positive results, but could be devastating, uh, you know, in in the shorter long term. So that's why I think you, you have to approach it on, you know, what am I able to do depending on what situation you're in? Uh, the assets and capital you're able to invest. And so piloting and testing in a small business and and then doubling down when you see things that are working in a larger organization, you have a little bit more freedom. But I completely agree that it's getting harder to navigate. Uh, And depending on which camp you're in, uh, I would say my best piece of advice is taking a step out of the business at least once a day for some period of time to watch what's going on, see what's working. And if you're just in meeting after meeting after meeting, you're never doing the work, right? (laughs) So you never give anything an opportunity to even breathe. 
I bet a lot of people can relate to that meeting after meeting after meeting. You just don't take the time to, you know, you're so in the business that you're not right. managing the business, right? You're not taking the time to do the things we're talking about. Like even asking those questions, who are my customers? What is working? What's mm-hmm. not working? Like you're not even taking the time to answer those questions or ask them. So how could you possibly make decisions about growth? And, and we're, more often than not, unfortunately, people find that companies find themselves in a growth stall and the warning signs were 12 or 18 months before, but they weren't paying mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I always think is interesting when some of this big news comes out about the big layoffs and stuff. And if you go back and look at the news about some of these organizations, it you can kind of see the pattern, right? Like happening and it does take kind of courage, doesn't it, as a leader to say, you know what, we're not going to grow every quarter because we're investing in this longer term vision. And it takes a lot of trust. Like, you have to trust me here. This is going to work. This is going to pay off. Um, So it's just, it's interesting to think about. And as you were describing what happens to small business, I was trying not to uh, hyperventilate. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the whole ROI of CX thing, right, Mm -hmm. Tiffany? Yeah. And and I would tell you that, you know, even to double click under that stat that I said, don't get larger than, you know, 5 million, that 85% will hit a growth stall at some point in the history of their business, 85%. Mm. And a very small percentage will be able to recover. And if you hit one, it is some, sometimes it's two to four years for you to come out the other side of it. So that's why knowing and seeing those indicators that growth is starting to slow down, before you get into a full grown blown growth stall, which is not flat. I mean, you're in negative growth territory, right? So sometimes flat is better than losing money and then you can come out the other side. But when you start to lose money, that's where it gets more and more difficult, right? Because you don't have the capital to make those investments. Um, and so that's why spending time and looking at the business is, is really, uh, really important. And then, you know, uh, I, I'd say that, that um, you know, Adam, going back to your question about customer experience, if you stay close to the customer as close as you can, you know, and I think this is where, you know, I've been selling for 27 years and always in the tech space. And, you know, I, I, you know, my Rolodex was my, you know, original CRM 1.0 tool. (laughs) Right. And I would literally spin it every day and wherever it stopped is who I called. It was really scientific, but (laughs) you know, uh, this is where technology across the board has really democratized the capabilities of small businesses to be able to compete against larger companies. It isn't now an asset, you know, whoever's got the, you know, the most, most tools is more successful, right. Or more capable of knowing who the customer are. Now there's so many options for small businesses to get a better handle on uh, what their customers like, what they don't like, what's working, what's not working. And then the trick is you have to try to make different decisions because of the information that you're gathering. So I'd say now you see these disruptive brands being able to overtake you know, billion dollar companies that have been around for sometimes 50 or even 100 years, right? And they're really nipping at their ankles because they're using technology in new and innovative ways. So I think it's a super exciting time for the small business community to be able to go and fight against the big boys if and girls, you know, if they're if they're willing to make um, investments, but more importantly, you know, really focus on that customer and customer experience. Mm-hmm. 
Well, 100%. And I'm curious because you are in the tech space. You know, you'd mentioned sort of the differentiation between publicly traded companies and that, you know, that sort of quarterly hammer that comes down uh, that often precludes investing in the long term and the opportunity with small business. I've done a little angel investing, not much. And one of the things that seems pretty obvious is that, you know, there's so, so much of the market is VC funded now. And while they don't have that quarterly earnings, they have that, you know, we we need to get our numbers up for the next bigger fish, right? It's all about tra- it's all about trading up to a better and bigger round. It seems like they have a lot of those same pressures that the publicly traded companies have to, you know, focus on the short term to juice. Have you seen that now? Of course, I'm painting a broad brush and it doesn't yeah. apply to all companies, of course. Uh, but have you seen that dynamic? Absolutely, and I and I think that this is where you know. In my previous life, uh, you know, I was a research fellow at Gartner, and I spent a lot of time with. I, I think people don't. Gartner is a the world's largest sort of IT consulting and advisory firm, and I would advise small businesses. And I think people think Gartner only advises enterprise size, you know, big Fortune five hundred type companies. And I actually had a pretty even mix. And I would tell you that the startup community that had VC backed money and was is trying to go for growth. One of the areas that they were tended to be weak in was that go-to-market sales growth lever, right? So look, we have this product. We think it's the best product. And I, I used to say like, you could have the best product in the world, better than you know XYZ, pick, pick a brand. But if nobody knows about it, it doesn't matter. If you can't sell it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. If you don't have a way to market it, right? And get buzz going and you don't have to have a huge marketing budget. Like, could you do something like Red Bull? Could you do something and, you know, where they used uh, a very specific community to raise the buzz of their brand and, and didn't spend any marketing money, right? Or you can look at what the, you know, the Warby Parkers and Harry's Razors and all those have done, Dollar Shave Club off of using social or even Kylie Jenner, who's in my book, you know, and using huge social platforms. And so ultimately it's, They don't get that go-to-market and selling growth lever right because they're so fixated on the product that they've developed. It's just the latest and greatest thing. And I think that's where VCs try to come in and add a lot of value for those founders who may be very engineer kind of technically (laughs) oriented and don't know how to sell. And so, you know, it's one of those areas where uh, uh, I think that gets into that engine of we need you to make money and show that you can grow and more importantly that you can scale and so for startups you know it you really have to make sure you spend the time even small business that you learn the craft and art of growth around sort of sales marketing and customer service mhm yeah you're really kind of underlying underlining the importance of understanding the end-to-end customer journey, too, because a lot of organizations focus so much on the marketing and sales, but they don't really have a plan (laughs) for once those customers get in the door. And then others have these amazing products that nobody knows about because they are, you know, not getting the word out the way they should in marketing and sales. So I I love the examples that you brought up. Are, Are there examples of organizations in your or case studies in your your book that really talk about um, how growth happened because of customer experience. I know you have a lot of examples in the book. Are there any top of mind for that? Yeah, what I did was, you know, so there's there's 10 paths to growth in the book and, and each, 
Each path has three stories, two positive use cases or successful use cases of that particular growth path, stimulating, driving, amplifying, accelerating growth. The third case study is actually the cautionary side of it, where somebody may have either lost their way on that path, you know, or never even focused on it to begin with, and maybe they should have. And so the very first path in the book is customer experience. Um, and I did that on purpose because it should start and end with, with the customer um, and you know, even, even the employee as well. But within that, there was two stories uh, that were sort of the positive, you know, on, on using customer experience as a way to grow the business. One was Sephora, mm-hmm. like, you know, just from driving people into the stores, really being very early in e-commerce and making those investments around the experience, pushing the envelope on using technology in new ways like augmented reality so people could see what the makeup was going to look like on, on their face. Uh, you know, and really training the staff to be, you know, not in sales mode all the time, but really trying to cater towards the different types of clientele that was coming in the door. The other one was Shake Shack, and it was about radical hospitality and Danny Meyer's focus on making sure that the customer always felt like they were welcome and that the employees were empowered to do what was best for the customer and bringing that sort of fast casual, not fast food, but bringing sort of the quality and care that he had in his higher end restaurants into something that was a little faster. And so those were two positive use cases of saying, we're going to win against others because Mm -hmm. not only because of what we sell, but how we sell and how our customers and clients feel when they engage with our people and our brand. But the cautionary tale on that, interestingly enough, was Starbucks. And I think people hold them up as a example of, you know, amazing customer experience that has helped drive that brand to, you know, exponential growth over the last you know, decade or two. But they really lost their way on experience. They were accelerating so quickly that what ended up happening was experience started falling to the wayside, that they were growing so fast, the baristas weren't trained, they were selling too many items in a Starbucks, it started to smell like food and not coffee, they kind of lost that heart and soul of it was always about the experience of coming in, feeling like you were in a European cafe, having coffee, socializing and leaving and having it be sort of a community place. And so when they lost their way, you know, they really started to see growth slow. So going back to that, you see the growth stall coming, they swapped back out. Howard Schultz came back in as CEO. The first thing he did was, you know, close down all the stores uh, in the U.S. and said, "We need to get back to the experience that built this business and make sure that our baristas are trained, etc." So that example was very intentional, just to show the reader and you know people who sort of uh, read the book that even brands that are so well known for these amazing experiences can sometimes get distracted on other growth paths that they actually forget the one that made them. So mm-hmm. you know, th- there were multiple lessons in that, but, but that customer experience path is one that, that I'm super passionate about. Well, that's a great example because when not all growth is healthy, right? <laughs> you know, that's absolutely. The, that's the thing. And that, and they were growing their footprint, while diluting their product and their brand and their all, because I, I was in retail back then, and I remember uh, there was a great uh, comedian back then. He said, "Yeah, I just got a, a cup of coffee from Starbucks. I opened it up. There's another Starbucks inside." Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like on every corner, you yeah. know, four corners in Manhattan and all that. So that's a fantastic example, and I think it. I, I love that model in the book 
growth IQ for our listeners um, of having a cautionary tale for each example. I think that's brilliant. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm looking at the clock and I think that you have delivered an amazing amount of growth for our audience and for us in this <laughs> podcast episode. And we really appreciate it. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, about the book, all that good stuff. Well, uh, Growth IQ is on sale, you know, online at multiple outlets as well as bookstores. And so I'd love for you to pick up a coffee copy. You know, it's also uh, on Kindle and it's got the audible of me, you know, reading that book for a good nine hours and 10 minutes. That I know you just <laughs> can't, can't wait. Um, and then awesome. I'm pretty active on Twitter at Tiffany underscore Bova and it's Tiffany with an I at the end. And then I'm on, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn. And so I'm, I'm pretty active on social talking about this topic. Uh, especially customer experience and growth and, and sort of how businesses are uh, really focused on certain things in order to provide very compelling experiences for their customers and their employees. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody who's listened and, and get some feedback. Well, thank you so much. We got so much out of this today and it was just great talking with you, Tiffany. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Tiffany. Appreciate it. Jeannie. Yes. Did we grow? You know, I feel like we're always growing, aren't we? Just think of the little baby podcasters we were when we started off. <laughs> we were baby podcasters. <laughs> what are we now? Toddlers? I think we're I think we're moving into the retirement home. I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh-oh. Heads up. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that was interesting, you know. I think it's uh so everyone wants growth, right? Mhm. And Everyone assumes, I won't say everyone, I should rephrase that, but so many people assume that just growth is good. But yeah, as we discuss, there are there's bad growth, right? There's growth mm -hmm. that's too fast or is the wrong type of growth, as in the Starbucks example. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that it's a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one of the things that stood out to me about those examples that she had at the end were... You know, you really have to know ahead of time, what kind of growth do you want and what are the what are the pitfalls you want to avoid? Um, you know, she mentioned Sephora. They've done such a great job building community and knowledge and helping people in ways so far beyond just having a place to buy makeup. Um and that's because they they know where they're going with that. And I think that's something that is often skipped when we talk about growth. We talk about it as if it's this objective thing. But the example she brought up about Starbucks is really that you you have to know who you are and what experience you want to deliver long term. And if you skip that step, you might grow. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be who you want to be. And your customers are going to see that and reject it. Right. And I mean, if you're focused, I mean, uh, we talked about publicly traded companies. If you're focused on short term top line mm. growth, particularly brick and mortar, right? So, you've mm -hmm. got, you know, Sephora by working on the app and all this is focusing more on their relationship. That's different than saying we're going to put a Sephora every, you know, 50 miles in every city in America. Right. Which is sort of what Star you know, Starbucks was just trying to crowd out the competition, seize market share you know, through real estate. And um, one, as Tiffany pointed out, you know, their experience suffered, their relationship with their customers suffered. And then again, uh, 
the crash happened and it was just mm -hmm. bad in many other ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think it gets, um, it's really, I think understanding like what is going to be good for our business long-term and, you know, hopefully you don't have the pressures of the mm -hmm. quarterly results so that you can think about what long-term healthy, forgive me for saying this word, holistic growth looks like. Right. Right. No, I agree. And she even used the term hamster wheel for the quarterly results. And I totally agree with that because you see people kind of panic as they get close to the end of the quarter. Um, and that's not good for anybody. So we hope that you're not on a hamster wheel, dear listeners. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, well, a lot of you probably are. We get how it works. It happens, but we hope <laughs> you does. don't stay on it. We hope you're only on it for certain periods of time and, mm -hmm. you know, certain projects. We all get it. You know, we all have those moments, but uh, hopefully you don't live there. Yes. And if, if you do, break out. Be bold, <laughs> hamster. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> yes, boom, we're, we've really, we've really lost the thread here, Gina. <laughs> so thank you hamsters for listening to <laughs> crack Still the customer it. code. Crack the customer code is a proud member of C-Suite Radio. So be sure to check out all the great business content at c-suiteradio.com and c-suitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our journey mapping programs, CX training, workshops, and speaking at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam Zaporik, and I'm here to tell you that this, no matter how it sounds, is not our next bourbon summit. <laughs> but you can learn more about me, my keynote speaking, customer service workshops, and training, and all of that good stuff at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.